You know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of life. To starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is The Andy Stork Show. Let's go. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to The Andy Storch Show. I am your host, Andy Storch. And of course, this is a show where we can come together to starve our fears, to follow our dreams, and to pursue fulfilling our true potential. And I have a true friend and brother in this uh, race, if you will, to get the most out of life on the show with me today, my good friend, Mike Flynn. And if you don't know Mike, Mike is a husband, a father, a podcaster, a writer, a speaker, financial advisor, and now a best-selling author of the book, Master the Key, which I just finished reading and thoroughly enjoyed. He's also the host of the popular Impact Entrepreneur Show that has been inspiring entrepreneurs and tons of listeners since April 2016, I think. Is that right, Mike? 2016? Yeah, 2016. I think I launched April 411 on 2016. Yeah, three yeah, years. I was, looking, I was looking it up and going back to your first episode in yeah. my uh, limited research for this. And uh, <laughs> Of course, I should have looked up when you were last on my show. This is your second time on. You were on when it was the Entrepreneur Hot Seat, uh, probably close to two years ago, sometime yeah. in 2017 after we were introduced by Nick DiNardo. And uh, I loved everything you were doing and just thought, if I could just do half of what Mike is doing, then you know, I'll be pretty successful. <laughs> oh, man. And you, you're crushing it right now as well. So congratulations, you know. I well, mean. Thank you. Just following you, man. And we're just trying to do all that. And I know at that time you had all this stuff in your head that you were working on and it seemed like so many opportunities in different directions. And I know what that feels like. And it's hard to actually sit down and focus and execute on, you know, whether it's writing a book or, uh, you know, creating something else. Uh, but you did it. And this book is not just like, oh, I sat down and put down my thoughts in a book like a lot of people do. This book is an absolute work of art, my friend. It is, it is so incredible what you did with it. I mean, I am just in, seriously, in awe, shock and awe. So tell <laughs> me about how the, the book came about and uh, we'll get into a little bit for you know, people that haven't read it. Uh, but yeah. it's an awesome book. Well, first of all, I love the tagline for your, um, your show, Starve Your Fears. And the idea of fear is interesting. Um, because it represents a dichotomy of two things that we experience. One is this, is this confrontation with our current reality, our current state in life. Yep. And, and, and comparing that to what we think that we want. And then trying to reconcile that with what it's going to cost us to get there. And so that fear is that great chasm of cost, you know, mm. of effort, yeah. of time, energy, money, relationships, sacrifice, failure, setbacks. Um, and judgment. You know, Let's not forget judgment, which is the, judgment. the thing we fear the, fo the most. We're going to put this out yeah. there and people are going to go, well, that was stupid, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so I think that, like, you know, whenever you start something – you have to, or, or you're trying to crystallize what to do, you have to really think about who you're doing it for. And so you're right. When we first talked a couple of years ago, 
you know, I had been giving these keynote presentations to organizations on the idea of peak performance. And, and at that time, mm-hmm. PEAKS, uh, the, the acronym PEAK I created stands for Position, Engagement, Action, and Kinetic, which I then kind of t- took those and put them in a, a kind of a more narrative type format, story, gifts, action, and community in the book, which we'll talk about in a second. But, you know, there were a lot of opportunities, a lot of things coming my way. And I didn't know how to tackle them all, which I should tackle first, um, how to approach it, and, and, and how to manage all of the opportunities within the limited amount of time that we, d- that we had. Yeah, not so, to mention you, you have a main business, right? You've got a wife and right. four kids. You are a committed husband and father. I know yeah. you and I follow your life you know, like me, so we have a limited amount of hours to work with and then a big network, so that means tons of opportunities always coming your way. You oh, yeah, to totally. What you do. Yeah, and, and I don't like telling people no. Right, like, same here. I love helping people. I love you know, serving people because cause I want to give that which I desire for myself. Right. Right. So if I desire, if I desire to have people help me, then I'm going to do my best to help people. And I think, you know, there's this, just let's riff on that for a second. There's this idea in the world right now in the entrepreneurial world that when someone reaches out to you and says, Hey, how can I help you? That, that is like, you know, there's some entrepreneurs who take that question like an insult. (laughs) And, and I'm like, you should be, you how arrogant is that? Yeah. You know, somebody is asking you how they can help you. They're trying to rep- they're trying to say, uh, you know, that they want to offer something to you and maybe they don't know exactly how to do it yet, but you should honor their generosity and, and maybe. I, I just think it's a, it's a challenge. It's an awkward question when, when you don't know each other that well. Like if someone yeah. you don't really know, just how can I help you? And then you're like, well, I don't know. I could ask you to, I don't know, buy my, buy my book and promote my book or something, but that yeah. I don't know you well enough to do that. So then it's a little bit. But I, how long does it, how, how do you build, how, do, how did you, it's all about building a relationship, right? Right. I mean, and so good for that person for stepping out there and being awkward, you know? Yeah. Shame on the entrepreneur who disses that person. It's like, like when you like, when you go to a, uh, uh, when, imagine when you were like courting Courtney, right? Mm. Imagine if you're like, Hey, you know, um, whatever your pickup line was. And then she disses you, right? <laughs> I think I had to be, I think and I she, and she goes, I don't even know you. Right. Get, you know, you know, instead like it, it, you're right. It's, there is a better way of doing it, Yeah. but, but you could all, we could all, respond by just simply saying, you know, I don't know you, Joe, Joe Schmo. Tell me about yourself, you right. know? Yeah. And, and, or, or teach them how to ask a better question. You know, it's, that, it's, it's, we given, we give, we've given into this myth that there's not enough time. And so we respond to each other by in, in such a, a harsh way where we don't honor the humanity of the other person. Yeah. And it's really getting to know them. And that's my, where I adjust it in my line is usually, well, I love to spend some time to get to know you so I can figure out if there's a way that I can help you or that we can help each other. Because sometimes you meet someone and you talk, start talking, you're like, oh my gosh, we have so much in common. I have so many connections. I know we can help each other. And sometimes you talk to somebody and you're like, I have no idea what you're doing and I have no idea how I can help you, but you know, let's talk more and keep in touch. 
Well, the, the an, again, an example for me where this happened was there was somebody who, who I know, I don't know super well, but you know, we've, we've collaborated on projects together and I know that this person has something coming up and I reached out to them and I said, Hey, how can I help you? I mean, we've collaborated. He knows me. Mm -hmm. He knows I have a podcast. He knows I've written for some, you know, thrive global and you know, he, you know, other things. And he's like, I have no idea. <laughs> no. And I'm like, okay, well, fine. You know, if you don't want to put in the next, like, you know, I don't know, unless you tell me what you're struggling with. Yeah. I don't know. So it's like this given, it's this given and take, it's this given receive kind of a thing. And people I think don't that like, we, people don't like asking for help though. So even if someone offers them help, if you take them up on it and say, well, I really could use help with this. I mean, you're, you're essentially showing weakness, right? That, well, I do need help. I can't do it all on my own. Uh, yes. And so sometimes it might be better to specifically find something where you can proactively help them. And I just think as an example, how we came together was from our mutual friend, Nick DiNardo, who when I started my podcast in 2017, he like mentored me through the whole process because he had two podcasts at the time and made like five introductions for me, including you. He was very proactive in helping me, such a generous, helpful guy. And yeah. so I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to say forever in his debt, but if he ever needs anything, I'm a hundred percent going to jump on the chance to help him because he was always totally hundred percent. Well, let me help your listeners with one thing right now. And, and, and that's how I've managed to do a lot of things with, with the same amount of time that we all have. Yeah. And we, we all have 168 hours in a seven day week. And I pretty much know where every single one of those hours is because I did an audit on and I created a spreadsheet. And this was an idea that was gifted to me by another friend named Tony uh, Grebmeyer, who's an awesome guy, has a podcast called The, the Be Fulfilled Show. And he is a very successful entrepreneur out of Denver, Colorado. Um, but, you know, when I, when I inventoried my time, I discovered just how much time I had. You know, like we sleep about 55 hours a week, 53, 54, 55, some, somewhere around there, yep. um, hours a week. And then the rest of that, that means that we have, you know, 110 ish hours left. Yeah. And let's say we have, let's say 40 of those, if you're using the typical work week, if you're working from a nine to five type job are, are at work. Yeah. That means you have 60-ish hours left, right? Yeah. And let's say you're going to spend, um, you know, let's say you're going to spend out of those 60 le hours left, let's say you're going to spend 50 of them being present to your family in different ways. That leaves nice. 10 hours. That leaves 10 hours. So that's, there's five days in a week. So you have an hour of me time every day to go to the gym yep. during the week. And then you have five hours to work on your passion project, right? Um, and if you are in a, in a married relationship or a relationship where other people are depending on you, if you guys collaborate and bring that 168 hours into each other's frame of mind and get each other on the same page, it's going to create freedom for you to pursue things that you never thought you were able, going to be able to pursue. 
And that's the only reason that I was able, I've been able to do the things that I'm doing is to get my wife, Lisa, on the same sheet of music as me and what we're creating, what we're building. Otherwise, it would be, it would be a constant cause of friction. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that because that is so important. There's really two important things there. One is the time, something I talk about all the time, that every time, all the things we do are choices and it's based on priorities. And just yesterday, I had a conversation with a guy that I, I casually know in the neighborhood and we were talking about going to the gym and he said, well, I just don't have time. And I said, what do you mean you don't have time? And I know you just started the new job. Is that requiring a lot? And he said, no, nah, you know, it's about 40 hours a week, but I've got this commute. It's a half an hour each way. And, uh, and I'm thinking, there's still a lot of hours left in the week, bro. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, and he's like, well, and I also like to relax. And I was like, oh, you like to relax. Okay. Well, yeah. that's your choice. But don't say you don't have time to work on these other things or go to the gym. That's your choice. Right. I mean, and I actually think that if, if, if you want to prove to yourself what you are capable of doing, and if you think that you feel inside you, that you have some, something great that you're capable of doing, then the fastest way to access that greatness is by doing something that's physically challenging hmm. and, and watching yourself overcome it. Because when you do that, when you, it's actually, science, it's actually proven in science as well, that the neurological relationship between doing a hard physical task and overcoming it and it forming new neurological pathways and releasing all kinds of chemicals and you know dopamine and serotonin and all of this stuff it's this reward system so when you do a hard thing you overcome it then you are able to tackle new things so you're going to see you know Andy goes to the to the YMCA and he he deadlifts 225 five times and he does it successful and he's like huh you know cool. I did that. I surprised myself. I didn't die. My back is still in place. And now I'm going to go to my office and I'm going to go crush a sales call because I just did something that I thought I couldn't do and I did it. And now I have this new belief in myself that I'm going to go make this scary phone call or I'm going to go start this brainstorming this conference with my business partner and look what you've created, you know? Yeah, it's um, true. I'm, I mean, and they say it doesn't even have, I, I agree that like, I I feel so much accomplishment from uh, doing something more strenuous, like going to the gym, but there's a lot of people out there that say just accomplish something. So there's a big movement on make your bed first thing in the morning, right? Because it gives you that sense of accomplishment. They're like, Hey, I've started the day accomplishing something. Let's move on and see what else I can do. And I always talk about how important it is to start the day intentionally by getting up earlier than you need to and doing some things, whether it's meditation, reading, writing, exercise, passion project, or all of those things. But if you schedule the time, you want to write a book. I haven't written a book. It seems still, I, it seems still like a huge undertaking to me, but I know how I would do it, which is I would schedule an hour every morning or whatever, and I would work on it then instead of just like hoping that it fits in somewhere in the yeah. day. I, my, my writing process was every Friday morning, I would, I would, uh, well, almost, almost every morning actually, but, but I would really write the longest on Friday mornings, but I would get up early. I would, um, have my prayer meditation time. I, I, my, my routine stayed the same. The only difference is that, uh, on, after I dropped my kids off at school, I would go to this chapel, 
Um, I'm Catholic and there's this chapel that's attached to our, our parish that has a, something called adoration in it where I, and I, you know, this is not a religious podcast, so I'll, I won't go into the details of what that is, but it's an opportunity for me to just connect with God in a deep and intimate way. And I would visualize the book. I would visualize the scene. I would take the characters and I would get, I would do it so deeply that I would actually get emotional. Um, you know, like when, when Chaz, who the violin player in the book, when she loses her violin, right? Like that scene when she learns what happened and she, and I'm not going to tell people, I don't want to spoil it, but they, yeah. you know, when she loses that, I saw that mm-hmm. in my mind, I felt it. Right. And so when I, when I would leave the chapel, I would go write and I would take that emotion because writing is emotional. Unless you're writing a, a textbook, you know, writing is emotional. Like this is a fictional story that will read, that will lead readers to the truth that dwells within them. And the truth is emotional and it, and it requires our action. And so that's the the process. And then I wouldn't edit. I, I wouldn't edit. I would, you know, I would just write and I would leave the editing to the professional editors that I would, that's who's, who are going to take the critical eye. They're going to restructure things. They're going to use their gifts to, to, to help reshape the story and structure the story. But, uh, if we, if we, and it's a really important lesson in life that if you're editing along the way, it's going to slow down the process. You're not going to capture the magic and you'll miss out on opportunities. And, and there's, there's a whole, whole science scientific system around that around the psychology of chance and randomness and chaos and 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 not editing along the way and looking for those glimmers of magic well in i've heard that is absolutely the way to go that it's it's important to just kind of let it flow and then worry about editing it later whether you do it yourself or you leave it up to the professionals so i think it's really cool that you did that i'm i'm curious where all this came from because you, I mean, you talked about visualizations a little bit. For people that haven't read the book, aren't familiar yet, it, it's a parable, which means it's a story with fictional characters. You're essentially teaching lessons through this story. Many people write personal development books or they're teaching you lessons, and sometimes they use stories from their own life. Um, lo- I'm lucky if they're actually interesting because I learn best through examples, so I always want those. And you provided this very entertaining and interesting story about these four or five characters with one central character who's going through um you know a tumultuous pivotal time in his life and trying to figure out where he goes from here which is something we've all done right and uh so where did all this come from and how much of it is drawn from your own life versus you know others that you talk to yeah so the main character is a guy named steve and he's a financial advisor going through a really rough time um and his story in the book is loosely drawn from my own um, you know, I did deal with the, uh, the, the brutal effects during and after of the financial crisis, but I didn't almost die like the character Steve does. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the rest of the characters ha- are kind of a combination of a bunch of different people that I've met throughout my life. So the character Chaz in the, in the book, who's the orphaned violinist, 
she is a combination of two real people. One is a, a guy by the name of David Arbin, um, who was a Holocaust survivor, um, virtuoso violin player. Um, and he was the, the conductor for the Philadelphia Orchestra, I believe, um, or the Philadelphia Conservatory of Music, some major music organization. And one of his mentees, a, a local gal here in Santa Cruz named Rebecca Jackson, who's a Juilliard trained violinist, she's the one who introduced me to his story. And so I took her story and his story and I smashed them together and I created this character named Chaz Cho. And uh, then the, the, the character Fidel is actually based on an Uber driver that I, I met. So I went to a conference a few years ago in 2016, 2017, I can't remember. And it was, the, it was a speakers conference. It was the first non-financial services conference that I had attended. And so I was, I was there by myself. So I decided I'm going to do everything different. I'm going to sit in the very front row of every, every session. I'm going to sit in the front seat of all of my Lyft or Uber drivers. And so on the way back from Colorado Springs to Denver, I sat in the front seat of the, this Uber driver and his name was Fidel and he was a Cuban huh. refugee and he literally did flee Cuba on from the west coast of Cuba and landed in Mexico and, and most of the story that you read in the book is actually true it really wow. did happen um and then the the executive coach at the end is is based on a, a number of people but one of one of the main people that that character is based on is um is a guy by the name of Dr. Jim Affermau who's a sports psychologist um and so that, you know, you're drawing on real experiences and you're, you're teaching these principles of, of owning your, your story, of owning your gifts, of owning your action and owning your community, because those are the, really the four fundamental questions that we all face in life and that hold us back. Who am I? What's my story? How do I show up in the world? What are my gifts? What do I do when I get there? What kind of action do I take and who do I do it with community? Right. And we often make the mistake of jumping into the community piece too fast because community is the ultimate accelerant for growth. And we all know that that is the, the, the highway um, to, to achievement, right. Is through doing it through with communities. But if we don't know ourselves and our story, if, which then influences how we perceive our gifts, which then influences how we take action, then we may end up in the wrong community. Yeah, or the community just can't help us. Going back to our early conversation about the importance of offering help and asking for help, I've been in a situation in the past where I had a community that wanted to help me, but I didn't know what I wanted and they couldn't help me. When I was graduating from business school uh, at USC in LA, I started reaching out to alumni in the network to ask for advice and informational interviews. And almost 100% of people said yes. They were very helpful. And then it was like, okay, well, what do you want help with? And I'm like, well, I don't really know what I want to do. And then they, they didn't know how to help me because I didn't know right. who I was and what I wanted. Now I'm much more clear on that 12 years later. 
But uh, at the time, I didn't have that clarity. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the, the who am I question is boils down to what, what Dr. Albert Bandura, Albert Bandura, who's a famous psychologist, refers to as self-efficacy. We all want to feel effective and powerful. And when we, when we face challenges, when we face adversity, when we've experienced failures or setbacks, we feel ineffective. We feel not powerful. And therefore, when we face cha- future challenges, we ask ourselves the question, can I do this hard thing? And oftentimes, we're not willing to, to journey through that cost that we started talking about earlier at the beginning of this. We're not willing to put in the time, the effort, the energy, the sacrifice, the judgment, all of that stuff. Because when we ask ourselves, can I do a hard thing? We say no because of X, Y, or Z. And so that becomes our identity. That becomes how we answer the question, who am I, right? I am a failure. I am not capable. I am fill in the blank, right? What if you began to change the conversation? What if you began to say, ask the question, can I do hard things? And then say, I am capable of doing hard things. And then add to that, I am worthy of doing hard things. We are all worthy. One of the most important things that we can tell ourselves in order to really answer that question, who am I, is I am worthy first and foremost. Yeah. I am worthy of the hard things I've experienced. They've made me who I am. They've equipped me to do the work that I'm doing now. The financial crisis, my, the, the actual financial crisis, my health and uh, physical crisis, the spiritual crises that I've experienced, the broken relationships, all of it, all of it has happened for me and equipped me. Guess what, though? The only reason I know that to be true is because I've made the conscious decision to choose to look at it that way. Yep. And we all have that opportunity. Yeah, I've said this uh, even on this podcast recently that uh, it's, it's okay to aspire for great things. And, uh, and I like what you say there because you're worthy of where you are now and you're worthy of what you want to achieve. And you, pro- and you have the capabilities and probably the community that can support you. Um, and that we've all made mistakes in the past and that's part of our journey. We can sit around regretting those things, which doesn't help us at all. Or we can accept that, hey, that's part of our journey. That's part of what I got me to where I am at this moment, which is where I need to be to go out and do the things that I want to do. When you were living in California, did you ever experience an earthquake? A couple really minor ones, but uh, nothing big. Yeah. So in 1989, we had the Loma Prieta earthquake here. It was a 7.1. Yeah, the famous World Series uh, earthquake. Yeah. I was 10 years old, I, and it's all my fault. I, opened a, I disobeyed my mother and opened a bag of Dorito chips that she told me not to, and then the earth started shaking instantaneously. So there's wow. some good Irish Catholic guilt there for you. But uh, <laughs> the, I bring that up because obviously earthquakes are startling, right? They are disorienting. They are frightening. Um, 
But one of the, the, I believe there's clues all around us in nature that reveal what we're capable of. And when there's an earthquake, a, an actual earthquake, most often there's, there's a deposit of gold instantaneously made in the earth because of the friction and the water and all of that stuff, right? But we would never know that unless we actually went down and mined it and explored the after effects of that earthquake and all right. of that stuff, right? It's the same in life. It's the same in life. When we experience earthquakes in life, they are startling. They are disorienting. They are frightening. You know, but there is oftentimes a deposit of gold instantaneously made in the depths of our soul. And unless you and I take time to go and do the work to reflect, to bend back time, to direct light or heat onto that thing, then we'll never know what, what exists there. And it, instead, it'll just feel like a weight. Well, there might be people listening who are kind of nodding their head and saying like, okay, I get that. Um, how do I know who I am and what my, you know, my strengths are, my superpowers are, what that gold is and, and how to show up and, and where to go? Well, you have to, going back to, to the, fundamental, the fundamental thing is you have to prove to yourself and nobody else can do this for you. You have to prove to yourself that you are effective. You have to prove to yourself that you can do hard things. I mean, there is no substitute for that. You have to go do something physically that, that taxes you mentally. That almost, that almost not only taxes you mentally, mentally and physically, but also a little bit emotionally. That's one of the reasons why I do, like, I, people are, this is probably going to be like, I do CrossFit. You know, this is the CrossFit talk right here. That's one of the reasons why I do CrossFit because it is hard. And, and every time I come out of that, I, I'm more effective because I did something challenging. And, and you get to a certain point where you've done something so often that's been challenging that it becomes a new comfort level. And then you start to coast. And, and now I'm at a point where I'm like, I'm thinking like, I need to step up my game again and, and get more fully invested to do hard things because I'm feeling a little bit stagnant, you know? Um, yeah, or, or really either hard things or really scary things, I think, right? You take a chance yeah. and do something really scary. Like you mentioned, I'm putting on this conference. I don't know how the hell I'm, you know, I'm going to pull this off, but I have a lot of resources and community and I'm asking for a lot of help. And it's scary, but it's, it's where I'm growing. And I think doing really hard things or going through really difficult times I interviewed uh, Sean Akinosi recently, who is the founder of uh, Akinosi Chocolate. Uh, really fascinating story. And I asked him about finding yourself. And he said, uh, you do it through heartbreak. That You need to experience some heartbreak or tragedy. And that's where people truly uh, end up finding themselves. Yeah. But they're, they're really, I mean, doing hard things or scary things, things that tax you mentally and emotionally. And the reason that is... And, let me ask you this question. It's going back to the physical element, right? Yeah. Or even to the, the, the event, the, the upcoming uh, talent think tank, talent development think tank, right? Yeah. If you did not, this is scary. You just brought it up. It's scary. Yeah. You don't know how you do it. Um, you've never done it before. Right. All kinds of logistics. If you just winged it, how, what, what would be guaranteed? Uh, well, 
it probably wouldn't go well. I don't know. It wouldn't go as well would, as it could. And what would that do to you? It probably wouldn't make me look very good. It wouldn't, it might may help. I might feel embarrassed. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that would, that would become part of your self-talk, right? Oh yeah. I tried to do this thing. It didn't work well. I was embarrassed. People were probably judging me. I can't do right. these things anymore. Right. But you're doing this hard thing and you're not winging it and it requires your full focus. Definitely. And, and so when you're focused on something and you're not scattered, you're not bouncing all around, you're not winging it, your brain power is going to be directed, your, your attention and your awareness, two of the speeds of our thought are focused on one thing and it's powerful. And so when we do something hard, whether it's an event, taking on some new business challenge or deadlifting, what's the most you've deadlifted? Oh, I think uh, 305 or 310, okay. something like that. Yeah. Were you nervous? Yeah. I always get nervous about the deadlift. Okay. It scares me. Yeah. And so what do you do? Because it scares you, what do you do? Tell me what you do. How do you set yourself up? Uh, well, I, I have put it off a little bit recently, but I focus a lot on trying to get the technique right. I have asked people for help. I've watched videos. Um, I've practiced and, um, you know, tried different things. I take video of myself so that I can look at my form and, and post it to show to others. So I mean, yes. I'm, I'm trying to get better with it. Yes. So number one, your awareness is attuned to what's going on. Your awareness of your body, your awareness of your own skill level, your awareness of those around you who might have some advice, some counsel to help mm -hmm. you. And then when you're actually doing the deadlift, you are not, you're combining that awareness with your attention and you are getting set up. You're making sure that you're braced, your shoulders are locked back, your yep. like all of those things, right? And it's setting you up for success. If you just approach that 305 pound deadlift without those things, without attention, without awareness and focus, yeah. And just a, just a mood while you're dead. No, you, you know, you can't. And so, cause you would hurt yourself and that right. would set you back. Right. It would set you back weeks and it would take you out of the ability to do all of the other things that you enjoy doing yoga, riding your bike with your kids, all of those things. So we yeah. have to think when we, we have to do challenging things and it requires our focus. And that is one of the other costs that when, when we're, when we're facing our fears, one of the things that prevents us from doing it is the reality that is going to require our focus. It's going to take us away from something that might be easy and gratifying immediately and take us to something that is going to require our energy and effort and may not pay us off for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you're, when you're investing in the real stuff that's going to pay off for your life, it takes a long time for those things to pay off. But if you keep doing it, uh, it's going to pay off in the long term, whether it's your health, relationships, community. I talk about networking a lot. So important for that. Uh, you writing this book, we were talking about it right before we started recording. Um, I mean, it seems like based on my social media feed, it's been popular and the launch has gone well, but it's still going to be slow going before you sell tons and tons of copies of this thing. But if yeah. you keep at it, it's going to, I'm sure it's going to catch on because it's great. Well, thank you, man. I'm, I'm not Oprah Winfrey. I don't have an army of millions that are, you know, And, and she's not recommending book. it, right? That's the fast track, right? right. On Oprah's list or whatever, right? But, 
you know, this, I, this book, I wrote this book for my kids. Uh, ultimately my my kids are not of the age where the concepts in this book are necessarily going to resonate with them, but I wrote this for my future adult children. Mm -hmm. And because I knew that if I did not write this book and I died, then, um, I would, I would, my kids would be worse off. Right. So if, if I didn't sell any books and my kids had this, it would be the greatest gift I could give them. And I was so okay with that, you know, but fortunately, <laughs> you know, it's also resonated out in the broader community and, you know, we've got Navy SEALs reading it. We've got Olympic athletes reading it. We've got, um, but you're, you know, you're also not winging it like with the conference, right? No. I mean, I've seen the work that you've put into it. Oh. Um, there's been a lot yeah. of promotion, getting a, you know, an early reading team, which I was on getting an advanced copy, sending it out to people, asking them to post on social media, um, yep. you know, having a kind of a launch plan, having a publisher, which I think you changed publishers. I know you've gone through some adversity, yeah. but you've worked very hard and been intentional about how you release this book versus what a lot of people do is just put stuff out there and expect that someone's going to find it. And they usually totally don't. No, I'm, I am definitely that, that be in everyone's ear right now as, as it relates to, because, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of noise in the world right now mm -hmm. in the, in the personal, in the personal development space. Um, and I, I believe that this book is, I know this book is, is going to be transformational for people that, that engage with it, not just read it, but there's actually like a workbook journal component built into the, the, the story. And I was talking to a, a, a guy who's a, a music artist yesterday who read the book and he hasn't read a book in 10 years. Wow. Uh, and he read this book over the course of a day and a half. And he's like, that whole idea of gifts blew my mind. That's what he told me, you know, and he has to go back and think about how he's perceived his, his giftedness throughout his career. And right now as his music career is changing. Hmm. And, and so, I mean, this is, I'm just a vessel for this message. Okay. And if we can all embrace the idea of that, we are here to each in every minute of every day, we are here to facilitate something in, in, in a way that's going to positively impact someone else's life. If the whole world were operating at that level, not just trying to get you into their funnel so that they could sell you some sort of a seven-figure course and you know, blah, blah, blah. And hey, that's the whole point of this podcast, bro. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> you know? This, you know, this whole idea of there's this, this whole world of funneling information and not really making a change in anyone's life. And I'm tired of it. Yeah. And, um, and I'm, I've done everything wrong on this book, according to the way that, uh, the only thing I've done right is I've done, I've had a book launch, right. And I had, I, I did an organized way. I didn't have some sort of a course and I'm trying to funnel people into on the back end. I don't have a, uh, a mastermind that I'm upselling people to, which that'll all come at some point. Yeah. But I wanted people to resonate with this book, sit with this book, let it marinate with them. I wanted to hammer home this message. And then if people want to engage with it later, 
then, then we can, and, and I'll, I'll create something for that. But this book is the product and it's, it's to remind each and every one of us of what we are capable of becoming if we engage with the hard questions, beginning with who am I? Yeah, and that, that question, I, I keep going back to that question because you also just said we're all here to facilitate something that will possibly, positively impact someone's life. I love that. I know you're doing that with this book, even if it's only your four kids, but I think it will be many other people. And you know, I'm trying to do the same thing with my podcasts and the things I do on social media and all the stuff that I'm, you know, conferences um, to help others and inspire others and connect others. Um, and a lot of people are probably not thinking about that, but they may hear that and say, well, yeah, I would love to be able to make an impact for others. I don't know how to do that. I still don't know who I am. So we talked about the importance of going out and doing some hard things and seeing how you uh, react to that. Obviously reading this book can be helpful. Uh, what else can people do? I mean, I think there's a lot of inner work that needs to be done, right? To really discover yourself, figure out your strengths and how you can help others, what you can facilitate. I think um, a really powerful question that people can ask themselves that, that kind of falls under the who am I section is what parts of my, my story do I struggle to own and why? And really, really do the, the work on answering that question. Get into a place where you're silent and you're reflecting on that question because you will see things happening to you. I rem and, and you will, not only will you remember events that have happened to you, but you will also remember people that have come into your life that have done something that have changed the trajectory and you may have missed it at that time, but now, now you can go back and you can claim it, right? Yeah. And there's a couple of examples of people that I've met on this journey over the last three years that have done that, right? I mean, Larry is a great example, actually, of somebody who took his story and owned it, and look what he's created, right? This the is Dad's Larry Edge. Agner, the um, founder of the Dad Edge podcast and Dad Edge community that we have both right. belonged to at different Th times. Thousands of people in the in the big, you know, community. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of people in the actual mastermind environment, right? Right. The Alliance environment and. That's a great example. Another example that's, that's, that's totally different is a guy named Alex Boyer. He is a, uh, a musician. He is originally from Nigeria, but was raised in the UK. And his dream was to be uh, a, mu a, mu a music artist. And he was you know, struggling like a lot of artists do. And you know, a lot of it had to do with the way that he was behaving in his, in his own actions. And at one point, he tells this story where he was getting ready to go eat some food out of a trash can because hmm. he was broke. He was down on his luck. And some stranger came up to him. And as he's pulling this, I think it was a Big Mac or something out of the trash can, some stranger came up and knocked that hamburger out of his hands and said, you're better than that. Hmm. You deserve more. You're worthy of more. You're, you're better than eating out of the trash can. And, and it changed him, right? It, it, it reminded him of the truth that dwelt within him. And so fast forward, 
he's this YouTube music star hmm. and his videos that he's been involved in have been viewed like I think at this point close to half a billion times. Jeez. Um, another person, Christmas Abbott. She is a famous fitness celebrity hmm. and in particular in the CrossFit world, but she's, she's um, got this uh, whole badass body regiment. And, but, but she wasn't always this, this fitness celebrity. In fact, at one point she was, you know, she grew up dirt poor, was you know, not living the best lifestyle. She had gone over to Iraq as a civilian contractor, not, not in the uh, security world, but like basically as a civilian contractor uh, doing run-of-the-mill activities around the base. And the event that really changed her life was when their base got attacked by mortars and she was faced with the, uh, the reality that she did not want to die. And all of a sudden, she recognized that the choices that she was making with, with her life were shortening it. And she needed to make different choices. Fast forward, she starts this fitness journey. She joins CrossFit. She becomes one of the first NASCAR uh, pit crew members. She has this multi-million dollar successful fitness brand now. And, um, and it's all because she responded to that event, right? We all have the ability to, in our life to have the, to reflect back and learn from either an event like that that's startled us or uh, a person coming in and knocking that, that trash out of our head or out yeah. of our hand. Yeah. What's an example? I'd love to hear an example from your own life. Is it that financial crisis and just kind of where you started drifting from there and, and hurting relationships? The, uh, the, the personal example for me was uh, January of 2011, where I told my mother to get the F out of my house. And um, that was because I was in a, in a state of big depression. Hmm. Um, my youngest son, Charlie, was born in December of 2010. And it was, you know, we were still grappling, even though the markets started to recover in 2009, the world was still grappling with the reality of the financial crisis. Just to give people a little bit of background, I started in the, the, the financial world in, in 2004. I was pretty successful right off the bat, closed escrow, my, you know, married my childhood sweetheart who I've known since we were nine, um, you know bought a house, had money in the bank, a, a year's worth of income for a rainy day, um, you know, was, was very successful. And then the financial crisis hit. Um, and by 2000, by October of 2010, we had basically uh, burned through all of the capital that we had in the bank. And I short sold my home. And mm. we went from having two kids in October of, in, in August of 2007 to four kids by December of 2010 and no, almost no money, short sale of a home. And I'm just like, you know, my identity is who am I? I am a failure. I'm not capable of providing my health. I was at the, at the start of my career, I was like 10% body fat. I was really fit. My, I blew up to 250 pounds. Um, 
and was, was broken mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically. I think mentally, I said already. Yeah. It all came to a head in January of 2011 when I told my mother to get out, out of my house in a less than polite way. Um, she hadn't done anything. My wife approached me and said, this is not like you. Um, I want you to go talk to somebody. And I said, okay, I'll go talk to somebody. And, uh, which is hard for men to do. Yep. We don't like talking to people. I don't need help. We don't, right. We don't, we don't like, um, admitting we're vulnerable, but vulnerability is a great sign of strength. Go watch the movie band of brothers and mm. see how many times those men put themselves in a vulnerable situation out of love for one of their brothers. And vulnerability is not weakness. Vulnerability is strength. Hiding in the shadows is weakness. And I was not going to hide anymore. And so I went and I talked to a therapist, a psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Jennifer Davis. I've been meeting her quarterly for the last eight years. At that time, when, we, when I first started meeting with her, I was diagnosed with male postpartum depression. How embarrassing is that? I didn't even yeah. labor or deliver or carry that child. And I was the one that was diagnosed with postpartum depression. Wow. And uh, I didn't even know that was a thing until then. But that opportunity, that crisis, all gave me the chance to sit with myself and to talk with somebody about all of this stuff. Going back to my childhood, to feeling abandoned by my father, who I, my father's still here. I love my, I have a good relationship with my father. Uh, and, um, but he was an army officer when I was growing up. And he was, as a result of that, he was not around very much. And so I didn't know how to understand, I didn't understand that as a kid. I just saw my dad was not there. All my friends' dads were. And then my best friend's dad, Earl, was killed by a drunk driver when I was 14, just after my dad had retired from the military and became an entrepreneur, right? So we know that like going from the military to starting a career as an entrepreneur, it's not doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be home at every day at six o'clock, right? Right. So the one time that my dad came home, and you'll recognize this from the book, and I'm not going to yeah. tell anybody the, the story. The one time my, my dad came home from work early, he brought a brand new football home and asked me to go outside to play catch with him. And so I did, and we, we played catch. And, and this is the, the, the time before cell phones. So my dad had given our landline out to his clients and my mom came out and said, hey, Mike, someone's on the phone for you. And my dad threw me the football and he said, stay here. I'll be right back. But he never came back. And my mom called me in for dinner. Mm. And I never, got to, I never got to play catch with him. You know? um, and that was a, I resented that moment for a long time. Uh, it was a big sticking point in our relationship. And, but I, I am a big believer that if we want to, there's a lot of men that, that we know, and there are men and women that are listening to this episode right now. And if we want healing, if we have wounds from our, either our father or our mother or some sort of authority figure in our lives, we have to forgive them for their woundedness. Hmm. 
because they were doing the best that they could at the time. It wasn't yeah. like intentional. Like he felt like no. he needed to provide for his family and he had to respond right. to this client. Right. And my dad had, he came from a broken family. Yeah. Right. Like himself. And, and he did the best he knew how to do and he's doing it. And I love my dad and he is who he is. He's one of the most generous men that I know. Um, and I'm, I'm blessed to call him my father. And I'm really glad that, that I'm 39 years old and I'm able to say that. It doesn't mean that we get along all the time, right. we, you know, but it, I can, I respect him. And, you have and a good I, relationship. you've moved past that, but what you dealt with is, right. is not uncommon at all. I mean, I had a, I've met other people with the same thing. I mean, I was at a conference last summer, uh, the dad edge summit actually, where a friend Dan opened up about how, his parents moved him to a different state when he was like 13 or 14. He's always resented him for that because he missed his hometown. Yeah. You know, and we, we have the ability, we can, that resentment is our choice. We are the ones that this is why the power, this is why in, intentionally reflecting on things is very powerful because we can take, I can take that past experience with my dad and I can either choose to, let its energy drive my story, or I can go back. I can direct light and energy onto that thing. I can insert hope there and I can bring it forward to today and do something different, make a different choice. Yeah. What you're doing, right? I mean, and, and writing about it, going back to, uh, I forgot what you said exactly earlier, but, uh, you know, owning that story, what parts of the story do I struggle to own? Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I'm finding as I talk to more and more people that the parts of their story that they really struggle to own in that, you know, they're embarrassed about it or they want to suppress it or forget about it. Like you just talked about two hard times in your life. You know, the time when, you're, when your father didn't play catch with you. And then of course the struggles you had after the financial crisis. And it's easy to be embarrassed about those times and never want to talk about them. But not only are they part of who you are today, they actually allowed you to create a better life and a better story for yourself. And by sharing them, you have the power to inspire and help other people. And I think we all have those. And I have mine that I've struggled to own and, and you know, share as well, either because they're embarrassing or I just don't feel like they're that valuable to people, even though they might be. And mm -hmm. we all have that power if we're willing to own it and share it. Everybody feels alone like alone in their embarrassment, right? I mean, Brene Brown is not the only person that talks about shame, you know, and, but she's the one that's got the biggest microphone right now. Mm. And, and it's in particular, it's bringing a lot of, it's, it's allowing a lot of women the courage to talk about their shame and vulnerability, right? I'm going to try to be like the, the male Brene Brown and talk about male vulnerability and, and, and give men the courage to own their embarrassing moments because in, or their failures, because in that there's great opportunity. It's yep. easy to own your victories. It's easy to, to celebrate the wins. It's terrifying to own your losses. Yep. It's t it, because a certain, it requires you to reflect on where you may have been wrong or not prepared or, um, or done something that, that, uh, benefited your ego and not anything else. Right. And so it requires you to get vulnerable with yourself, but guess what, man, 
every single person walking around is battling this is, is encountering the same things i know like i don't care who they are like whether it's tony robbins or whoever like yeah. you know tony robbins is an open book you know yeah that's one of the v- reasons why people relate with him so much oh yeah his stories yeah. are incredible you know but there are so many people who are afraid to open up because of what it might do to their quote-unquote brand mm-hmm which I think is, is the wrong way to go. I mean, I'm all about building an authentic brand. I think that's what people really want. They want to connect with other people and see that they're real. And so I'm, I'll join you in this authentic, vulnerable revolution for men because I think that it's only going to benefit us over time. Yeah, I think, you know, we could start a vulnerability challenge, you know, 21-day vulnerability challenge right now on the, on the Andy Storch show Yeah, where for – you know, whenever this is going to air, starting on that day and 21 days and 20 days after, we're going to challenge every listener to go on Instagram and uh, Instagram stories and share a vulnerable moment that you've encountered and tag at the impact mic and what's your handy hand, handle at, Andy underscore storage. So at the impact yeah, mic and Andy yeah. underscore storage. Yeah. Tag us. And so we can create a movement where we can be vulnerable together and therefore you will not be alone. I love it. You just started a, a challenge and a movement on my show. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. But I love that. And uh, you know, when this comes out, we'll have to put that out there. Uh, and we can take the lead because we've got to set an example, right? Let, let's yeah. share something, you know, embarrassing, vulnerable, whatever it is, but it made me who I am. And as Gary V talks about all the time, own your losses. Don't worry about what other people think about it because their yeah. opinion don't matter. Just own it. When this airs, Andy, let's do like a, a Facebook, a quick Facebook live kicking off this thing because we can, we can outline where, where people can go. Men in particular, every man, whether they're, they're not going to admit this, Every man has body image issues. Okay. <laughs> All right. Like body image is not limited to women. Okay. No, totally. I know men that deal with this for sure. Okay. So you have vulnerable body image moments, vulnerable financial failures, all of this stuff so that you, we can, we can be vulnerable together and be, become stronger together. I love it. And you know what? This scares me a little bit, which means I need to do it because that's my yeah. mantra. Starve your fears or something scary. Uh, and I have to do it. There's, there's, no, there's no way around it. It's got to be done. So Mike, uh, we, we got to wrap up here. Um, we've talked about your book. We've talked about finding yourself. We've talked about you know, owning your story. And of course, you have shared some of yours, which I think is so inspiring. Um, is there anything else you want to make sure people take away from this or what you want people to take away from the book when they read it? In order for something to be true, it has to be true for all people at all times everywhere. Right. And so the, at the end of reading this book, master the key, you will remember that the truth that you've been seeking has been dwelling within you all along. And that's what I want people to, to take away from this conversation and certainly from the book. And they can go to Amazon and they can purchase the book there. They can go to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash book. That's the, T-H-E, 
impactentrepreneur.net forward slash book. And it will redirect them to Amazon if they don't want to search for it on Amazon. Um, trying to make things as easy for people as possible. Um, and, you know, continuing, go do something challenging. Go do something physically challenging. doesn't have to be a 305-pound deadlift like Andy. Right. But go do something that you are afraid to do. Yeah, get your heart rate going. You know, I mean, like there's, there's actual science behind this to show, to show yourself that you are effective and that you're powerful and that you put your brain in its place instead of it putting you in some place that you don't want to be. Yep. Yep. And you owned it. You, you took a chance. You did something hard. You feel that sense of accomplishment. You can get anything out of life. You can achieve anything. If you know yourself, you know your strengths, you have a strong community around you. Uh, and you know where you're going, what you're going to do. And it's okay to ask for help. It's great to own your story. Don't worry about being vulnerable, sharing that. We're going to start that challenge today. Uh, Mike, it's been awesome to have you on the show. Always love talking to you, my friend. And I love how we support each other so much with where we're going, books, conferences, podcasts, whatever it is. And uh, I know there's just so much more to come. And I'm excited about this book. So if you haven't already and you're listening, make sure you get onto Amazon and buy the book, Master the Key. It's a fantastic read. I highly recommend it. And uh, Mike, thanks again, man. It's been great having you on. You bet, buddy. Appreciate the opportunity. All right, take care.